Thank you. <clears throat> wow. It's great to finally be here. And um, I have to start out by saying I have been overwhelmed by the generosity that you all have shown me. It has been amazing. I had the opportunity to listen to Tom's message last week, and I have to say you are applying it very, very well. I feel very loved. As a matter of fact, that 15 pounds that Tom said he gave, that's just, that is just a, um, a reminder of the love that you have shown your leadership. So thank you all so much. I mean, the meals, even the offerings of furniture. I have been tempted to call the moving company and just say, you know what, just leave it. Just leave it. I don't even think we're going to need that furniture you all have offered us so much. So thank you. Um, it is an honor to enter into this stream of pastors at the First Baptist Church of Sheridan. And I've got this distinct honor and privilege of being the 24th interim, but hopefully with a long tenure, pastor here at First Baptist. This church, it, it's special. And you all have endured a lot of things. But those things you have endured, in, in some places where it may weaken the congregation, it seems like it has strengthened the congregation. And that's one of the things that make you special. See, I believe that central to First Baptist Church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it has taken a firm root here in the hearts of the people. And that is what has given such strength to this congregation. You've trusted Christ. So again, uh, we are going to keep the gospel of Jesus Christ central at First Baptist Church of Sheridan. That's why we're here. We unite around the cross. And we've received that forgiveness. So it's great to be here um, again. Thank you for the wonderful outpouring of love. I want to talk to you for a moment about two churches, okay? We'll call them Church One and Church Two. So over here, we've got Church One. Church One is a church that is always on the move. Whatever is cutting edge, Church One is all about it. They love the latest. They love the most recent. As a matter of fact, they're scanning the walls thinking, I think we could fit a couple more laser beams over there. That's, what they're, that, that's what's sort of fueling them is to be on the cutting edge. They love change. They love moving. But there's some issues over here with Church One. Because Church One, in the midst of all the change, I think somewhere along the way, maybe they forgot why they were even making some of the change. In the process of moving forward and moving forward so quickly, they've looked behind them and thought, you know what, I think we've left a few people in the dust back here behind us. And they have to reinvent themselves, and they have a little bit of an identity crisis because they've changed and changed and changed, maybe at times not knowing why they're changing, not examining that change, not asking, well, how is this affecting the worship of the body, that they've gotten themselves way out there and not even sure where they are right now. They love the latest, the latest lingo, the latest phrases. So this is Church One. Church One is a church that loves to move, embraces change all the way, and can't wait to get to the next thing. But they've got their issues. Let's talk about church two for just a minute. 
Uh, church, too, has a high value on being together. They love to spend time together. They're with each other on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, a few times through the week. And they like doing things the way that things have always been done. And since the year of our Lord, 1935, they have not changed a thing. And all 10 of these people over here <laughs> are going to keep it that way. And these people, they have a mantra. They have a mantra. They say, if you want my hymnal, you can pry it out of my cold, dead hands. So you've got church one. Not so much into change, but they are together. You've got this other church. I'm sorry, church two. You've got church one that's really into change, but leaving some people in the dust. So then you have to ask, well, where should we be? Where can we be? How can a church that's very diverse, age-wise, and in, in, in many ways, how can they move forward together? And that's one of the questions that I want to discuss today. How can a church move forward together? How can they critically examine the way they teach? How can they critically examine the way they are perpetuating Christian beliefs and practices and do it all in a way that they're doing it together at the same time moving forward to meet the goals that God is setting for them to meet and doing it all together without abandoning people or even worse, Abandoning the fundamentals of the faith. So how do we do this? How can we be a church that moves forward together? And there's a text, I believe, that can help us. So this morning, we're going to take a look at Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 9 of Joshua chapter 1. And if you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, 
and then you will have good success. You may be seated. I'm sorry, one more verse, but go ahead and be seated. <laughs> My clicker didn't click right when I thought it did. I have, not, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Thank you. Thank you. So let me give you just a little bit of background of what's going on up to this point. And today we're going to walk through this passage, and I'm going to make three pretty high-level observations, principles that we can apply as we move forward together. So three things, three principles that we're going to derive from this, this passage, pretty high-level observations. So a little bit of background. So the Israelites had been... Uh, imprisoned in Egypt for a long time, and then they were freed. And most of you are probably familiar with the story. The plagues came. Moses led the people out of Israel. After being led out of Israel, they, they screwed up. They worshiped a golden calf, and as a punishment for that, God said, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, those 40 years have ended, and the people are standing on the edge of a time of conquest. And it's now time to go and take the land that God had promised them way back to the time of Abraham, the land promise. When God entered into that covenant with Abraham, he made a promise that his people would have this promised land. And now we're up to the point where it's time for them to take the land that had been promised to them. So the, so the people are now standing there staring at a brand new leader. That probably kind of rings a bell this morning. It's a little close to home. Joshua is this man that God has chosen to succeed Moses to lead people in this conquest of the land in Israel. So there they are. And we see there in verses 1 through 9 that we have this divine discourse where God is now speaking directly to the new leader. Now, as we go through this passage, uh, you may notice something else. Nowhere in that passage does Joshua ever open his mouth. He is taking straight in everything that the Lord is saying. Now, his predecessor Moses had a little bit of a hard time with that. He had a little talk back when it came to God, but not so with Joshua. He's listening, and he's taking it all in as God is commissioning him He's giving him this leadership over the people, and Joshua just listens to the words of God. And I think there's something there for us, because as we go forward together, I believe that the first thing that we need to think about and the first thing we need to take into account is listening to the words of God. That's my first observation when I, when I see this, is just very simply and at a high level, Joshua is listening. Had he not listened to the Lord at this point, he would have had nothing to say to these Israelites in the next section. Because everything he's going to say to these Israelites in the next set of verses, verses 10 through 16, are the words that God had spoken to him. He knew that the Word of God was authoritative. He knew that that's where the, the power and the weight was coming from. You know, it was powerful and authoritative for the people of God back in the time of Moses. 
and it's powerful and it's authoritative here for the people of God now. It's authoritative in the lives of God's people in his church. So if we're going to, for, if we're going to move forward together, we have to have this common agreement and this common confession on the authoritativeness of God's word. Um, there's a quote I like from the church father Augustine concerning the authority of the word of God. In that quote, he says this, the faith will totter if the authority of the Holy Scripture loses its hold on men. We must surrender ourselves to the authority of Holy Scripture, for it can neither mislead nor be misled. See, the Scriptures are our true north. They're our guide. They're the absolute authority in our lives, and we submit ourselves to what the Scriptures tell us. It's the scriptures that have revealed salvation to us. Now, Augustine understood that for us to hold on to the faith, we have to have this common confession of the authority of the scriptures. You know, the only right that I have to stand up in front of you and give you any guidance on how to live is when it comes from the word of God. Not from Chad, but from the word of God. That's what gives me the authority. That, that's, that's where the authority comes from. It comes from God's Word. So we depend on the Word of God for authority in our lives, but that's not all. We also need it for nourishment. God's Word feeds us spiritually. And I'm reminded in what Christ says in Matthew 4, 4, it is written that thou shalt not live. Go ahead. But by what? by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God's word is nourishment for the soul. And as I was listening to Tom's message last week, and I believe he mentioned, well, well what was it like to be a pastor? When people would say, well, what is the role of pastor like? He said, well, it's kind of like the job of being a mother. And I, that took me back a little bit. I'd never heard that. But when he explained what that meant, it, was per it made perfect sense. That it was the job of the mother to prepare, prepare meals for the family, provide nourishment. And that was the job of the pastor, to serve up a meal, to provide that nourishment from the Word of God. You know, not all meals taste the same either. And frankly, some may taste a little better than others. I love dessert. But you know, dessert just doesn't give you the nourishment you need. I would love to stand here every Sunday and tell you what you want to hear, but guess what? That is not always going to be what nourishes you. We got to have the dessert, and you know, we got to have the Brussels sprouts. Nothing against Brussels sprouts. I like Brussels sprouts. We need the meat, we need the milk, we need, we, we need the entire four course dinner. That's how we get nourished. I remember being a camp counselor and watching those kids. Uh, this was probably about 20 years ago. Anybody remember nerd ropes? these, the nerds candy, and they would actually pack the nerds candy into a long stream of gum, as if there wasn't enough sugar already in the nerds. I remember watching kids just chowing down on those things and washing it down with Pepsis. And they get back to that cabin, they weren't nourished, they were just wired. We want to be nourished. We need a meal. So God's word, it's authoritative, it provides us with nourishment. And there's one more aspect of God's Word that I'd like to illustrate. 
My wife, Melissa, and I, we've been married for, uh, it's been 14 years. It's a good thing I remembered that. I didn't think about putting that in the notes, but yeah, it's been 14 years. And um, when, when I first met her, it, she was a fairly new Christian. And we were going to a Bible study together, and we were getting to know each other. And I, I, was, really, I was really digging her. I mean, I just was getting all weird when I was around her and stuff. You know how it is when you're around somebody you really like. And I thought, man, I really like So I finally drummed up the courage. And I asked her out. And she looked at me and she said, no. <laughs> and she said it pretty emphatically, as a matter of fact. So I walked out, I slumped away, you know, just kind of, all right, well, uh, move on. Well, a couple of years went by and I thought, man, I, I just, I got to do it again. Things had changed a little bit, the dynamics had changed a little bit. And by the grace of God, she said, and then we went on our first date. We went to Starbucks, and we're sitting there across that table. We sat there, it seemed like, for hours and talked. And then at the end of the night, let me tell you something, I was in love. <laughs> and I fell hard for this girl. And then in the weeks to come, we started sending emails to each other. And when that inbox would ding, Man, I would run straight to it. It didn't matter where I was in the house. I'd run straight to that computer. I'd open up that email, and I would read it. And I would read it again, and I'd read it again, and I'd walk away, and, I'd, and then I'd come back to it. I'd read it one more time. I'd kind of read between the lines, like, well, what is she really saying? You know? You see, we were in love with each other, and we were writing these letters to each other. You know, the Word of God is his love letter to us. Amen. He loved us so much that he gave us the sufficiency of his word so that we could know him, so that we could have a relationship with him, so that we could grow deeper in our knowledge of him, so that we would have some idea with the help of the Holy Spirit on how to live out this Christian life. That's what comes to us in the word of God. So I'm thankful for it. It gives us our nourishment, but we must listen to it. So the first step, I believe, in moving forward together as a church is by listening to God's Word. Listening to God's Word. What is He telling us? He speaks to us, and He speaks to us through His Word. So let's move on, because there's a second observation that's important for us to make. And we see it in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 1, and there we read in verse 10. It says, And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, Prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess. So we see that Joshua, he's, he's clearly communicated to the people the mission of God, the mission that God has given them to do. And if we skip down to verse 16, it says, uh, and we see the response of the people. They say, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. So we see here this clear instruction of Joshua to the people. And this, this is the second observation I, I want to make. That the people, when they hear from Joshua, understood the mission. And they were all on the same page with this. They're speaking in one accord there in 
in verse 16, they, and when it says, all that you've commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. They knew exactly what it was they were about to do. They were going to go into the land of Jericho, as well as others after that, and they were going to defeat their enemies, and they were going to take the land that God was going to give them. So the people of God knew their mission. So then, do we here at First Baptist Church know what is our mission? Our mission here at First Baptist is to know God and to make Him known. And you know what? I think that is an awesome biblical mission for a church. It's got two parts there, to know God and to make Him known. And I believe this to be a biblical mission. Um, the two parts there, the first pertains to knowing God. And this speaks to the act of discipleship. To be a growing disciple of Christ is to be a Christian that is knowing God more and more. Um, I love the fact that discipleship is taken so seriously here at First Baptist. As a matter of fact, for every age group, as near as I can tell, there is a pathway of discipleship. And I hope that someday everybody in our congregation will be involved in a small group or a Sunday school class so that you can know God more, so that you can grow deeper in your knowledge of Him. There's men's groups and women's groups, uh, small groups here at the church that meet in people's homes. Uh, all of these things working together to accomplish the mission of knowing God. There's a quote by J.I. Packer that I want to share with you. He says, Once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. Have you ever thought about that? That as you get busy knowing God more and more, that as you make that one of your main focuses, that other problems in life will just kind of start to fall away? Um, you gain a different perspective on your life's problems. More and more you realize that God brings difficult circumstances into your life because He loves you and He's growing you. And that is, I don't want to just glance over that because that's hard. You have had circumstances that God has brought into your life and, and probably some of you this morning are still reeling from them. But as you grow deeper in your knowledge of God, it can bring a completely new perspective the problems that you're experiencing. And you know, we can become so distracted. I mean, we've got, we've got more distractions in our lives right now than ever in the history of man. Most of us are carrying around something in our pocket right now that gives you access to most of the world's information. Only I don't find myself very often getting on there doing anything constructive. I find myself looking at Facebook, you know, what people had for dinner last night. Or cat videos. I, I don't know. For some reason, I, an hour goes by and I've just been watching cat videos. Just, and a lot of time can go by. Uh, and, and, and what time have we spent just getting to know our, our Lord? And believe me, there is time to watch cat videos, okay? I'm not, I'm not against cat videos. Not really against Facebook. But we don't want to let those things become a distraction to our main business, because our main business is to get to know God. 
And isn't that infinitely more satisfying, gratifying, as we make our way through this world, and mysterious at the same time? We serve a God that we can never fully understand, that we can never put in a box. This is about private time with God as well. Spending time in prayer, in the scriptures. But it's not just about private time with God. It's about being here corporately, worshiping God with God's family. It's both those things in, in getting to know God. All of this activity for the purpose of knowing God. Then there's a second part of our mission. The second part of our mission is making him known. So how is it that we make God known? Well, I think, first of all, it's by sharing our faith with others. It's evangelism. It's hard. It's scary. But at the same time, it's something that we have to do. You see, you're sitting here as a Christian because someone at some point loved you enough to share the gospel with you. And now it's our turn to go out and share the gospel with someone else so they can believe it. And they can share, and they can share, and they can share. And this has been going on ever since Christ came to the earth. So yes, we need to make God known through evangelism. We need to share the good news with someone else. And that's not the only way. We also make him known through love. In John 13, 35, Christ said, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Loving one another here. Now, we're a family, right? And families always get along perfectly. Now, now you're laughing. You're laughing. We're human, aren't we? We rub up against each other. We can still love each other. Even though it can be challenging, we can still love each other. And, you know, and it's not just the love we show to each other. It's also the love we show to the people that are outside these doors. And I look forward to dreaming about how we can creatively, lovingly, and actively seek ways to love people out in the community of Sheridan. I can't wait to dream with you about how we can reach those people who maybe have never experienced the love of Christ. What can we do to help this community so they can see that, you know what, we here at Sheridan First Baptist care about what's going on in the streets and the blocks and the place that God has placed us in. Amen. So we show, we, we know, we seek to know God and we seek to make him known. We make him known through evangelism. We make him known by how we love each other and the community that God has placed us in. That is our mission. So, let's move forward together. First of all, by listening to God's word. We believe to be authoritative. It nourishes us. It's his love letter to us. We move forward together by knowing the mission to know God, to make him known. And then let's move on to this third observation. Uh, and I want to look at the same verses again. So we just looked at verses 10 and 11 and, and, and 16. I want to look at verses 10 and 11 one more time. I'm going to read them. And it says, And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, Prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go and to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. 
to possess. So in these verses, you have a promise that is made. And this is how God works. He's promising to give them the land. But at the same time, he said, you're not just going to sit here. You're going to go and you're going to take it. You know, God lovingly lets us be part of his plans. And the Israelites, they're being part of his plans. And they're going in here all the time knowing that they will take the land, not because of their effort, but because God has made a promise to them that they are going to have the land. And the people again answered in verse 16, all that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Why is it that they're so willing to do this again? Because they have simply trusted the promise that God has made to them. It's pretty straightforward. They've been made a promise that they're going to get the land. So God's people are willing to move forward together into the land because they are trusting the promise that God has made. So as I think about this third part, let's move forward together by trusting God's promises. As Christians, we know that our hope ultimately does not lie in anything this world has to offer. Now, that is something that you, you and I, we have to actively work at. We have to keep that in our minds because there are so many wonderful things that this world can offer and a lot of not-so-wonderful things. But our hope doesn't lie here. Our identity is not in our reputation that we have here in this world. It's not in what we own. It's not in the finances we have. Our identity is as forgiven children of God. That's who we are. So we've got this hope that we will spend eternity in heaven with our Lord. By the way, if you're here this morning and you have any doubts about your eternal destination, if you have any doubts as to whether or not uh, you have received this gospel and you understand it, I'm going to ask that you would meet with me down here in the very front at the, at the end of the service. I'll just be standing right down here. If you are um, not familiar with the gospel of Jesus Christ and you've not heard the good news that Christ has died for your sins and by trusting in the saving works of Jesus Christ, you can have this eternal hope that I'm talking about right now. Come talk to me. Let's work this out. This morning can be the morning that you trust Christ as your Savior. By trusting in the work of Christ, we can lay hold of the greatest promise that God has made to man. That one day we will be resurrected and we will spend eternity with him in heaven, in the new earth. And in the meantime, we can have a relationship with him right now, a fully reconciled relationship with God. We can have peace and joy and hope. All of these things are promised to us right now as we're working out and prosecuting this life that we're living here on earth. God promises us that he will never leave us or abandon us. He's promised that the church will always be here until he returns. As long as the earth is here and before Christ comes back, there will always be a Christian living here on earth. 
The church is going to continue, and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against us. And I pray that that gives you hope and courage and strength as we go forward. It should. The promises of God should give us courage and strength. So these three things, let's move forward together by first listening to God's word, knowing the mission, and trusting in God's promises. In closing, I want to remind you of something. I want to remind you of where you've come from. This church has an incredible 127-year legacy. For 127 years, this church has faithfully been serving our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And around the centennial, at the 100-year anniversary, uh, a book was put together, and I got a copy of that this past week, and I was looking through it. I wanted to see some clue, some reason that had been provided as to why this church has done so well for so long. And I think I found it. Um, I was looking into this. It's the, it was the history of First Baptist. And uh, there was a note there written in the foreword uh, by Dr. Charles Gifford. How many of you remember Dr. Charles Gifford? Okay, he was the pastor from 1979 to 1990. And I want you to hear what he said as he reflected on the life of First Baptist. Here's what he said. He said, in the 11 years of privileged pastorship of the people of First Baptist Church, I have gotten a pretty good look at where the credit should go. Honor does not belong to any one pastor or particular family. After all, you guys have gone through 20-some-odd pastors, and you're, and you're still here? Um, the credit must go to those faithful ones, the rich and the poor, the gifted and the plain, the cheerful and the broken, who simply with great enthusiasm and great devotion, learned how to spend themselves on a worthy cause at First Baptist Church, their place of worship and service to God. He goes on to say, For 100 years, First Baptist Church existed because these stout-hearted individuals refused to leave during the bad times and remained humble during the good times. They were faithful, after all, because they were serving the God who is faithful. They knew during their good and bad times, it is because of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. He says that these great ones who persevered would be quick to disclaim any honor for themselves because they know that any faithfulness on their part was only due to the grace of God. They would be quick to say, faithful is he who calls you, who also will do it. As the people of First Baptist Church of Sheridan, Wyoming, reflect with joy on the past 100 years, and this is probably my favorite part, they can be confident that the next century shall be equally bright as they remain faithful to Jesus, our Lord and Savior. I talked to you about in the beginning about two extremes. Church one and church two. First Baptist, you have found 
the spot between the extremes. Not many churches are able to do that. That's why I knew this was a special place. And I'm asking that we stout-hearted, that you stout-hearted persons who have remained faithful in the good times and the bad times to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, would continue as we move forward together. Please pray with me. God, I thank you for the wonderful legacy of this church. God, a church that has stayed true to you for over a century. And God, I pray that we will be a church that will be here long after all of us are dead and gone. Help us to remember your word and to move forward together. Amen. Amen. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Thank you all. Have a wonderful day.